I always love coming back home. This is home to me. And uh, thank you very much for your prayers and support. Uh, it's good that we're workers together with him. Yeah. And uh, we need each other. And we need to encourage each other. And I want to uh, encourage you to say thank you for your support and thank you for your prayers. But it's nice to come back and give a little report. And for a few minutes, I'm going to give a little report of what's been happening over the past few weeks. And then a couple of urgent prayer requests. And then I'll go straight into the presentation on India. Our youth and schools ministry continues and God blesses it. And we praise God for it. Just two weeks ago, we had a youth outreach program in Kilkeel with Annalong Presbyterian and Annalong Parish. Uh, we're doing a youth event every night. We had over 100 young people every night. And then we were doing the schools during the day. We were in two Protestant schools and a Catholic school. And it was just amazing how God blessed us. And then at, the scripture, uh, at lunchtime on Friday, we had over 200 at the lunchtime special. And it was the first time that anyone has been in the, the Catholic school and the, the door was wide open to us. And then on the, uh, the Sunday night, we had over 200 at the special youth event, the finale on the Sunday night uh, with Steve Parsons. And we had, um, uh, we had 13 young people give their life to Jesus. Uh, and we had 13 young people that came to the discipleship program the following Tuesday. And so uh, we do pray that the Lord will bless these young people that they may grow and know uh, him spiritually. Just keeping with our school's ministry, in two weeks' time, three weeks' time, we have another school's outreach program in Dungannon with Dungannon Convention. This is our second year. They've asked us last year with 20 young people to give our heart to the Lord last year. And they've asked us to do the program this year again. So do pray for us. Uh, Richard Pilsen, myself, and a couple of others will be helping us in that. So we value your prayers and for that. Uh, as most of you know, uh, James and Hazel left us to take up the youth pastor of his home church in Lurgan which means we're looking for uh, youth and schools workers. At the moment, we have five applications, but we'd like you to pray for one particular couple. Uh, if this works uh, and if God uh, has it to be, uh, then this couple will, will lead the team. And uh, he is from, from Ghana. So not only are we going to be doing international, we're going to have internationals working for us on the home end. We have been praying for this for about five years, that God would bring internationals to work with us here as well as overseas. And we value your prayers for, for this guy from Ghana. And if we trust what's going to happen, we're going to need people to get behind them, support them, because they've come from Ghana. They have no uh, church background here. They have no friends, no family here whatsoever. His wife is actually at Queen's University doing a, a PhD, uh, and he then is going to come into the work. So they're just going through the process at the moment, but now we're having to try and get people behind us and behind them to support them on a monthly basis. So we value prayers for that, that God raise up people to support the school's workers on a monthly basis. Then I have a, an urgent prayer request. I think the last time I asked you to pray for our finance department, we were in need of our finance department, and that need is still the situation uh, because Hazel goes off at the end of the month uh, uh, on maternity leave, and then we had a girl who was coming in one day a week to help uh, Lisa, and uh, for which we praise God for Lisa. But unfortunately, uh, Lisa has taken ill. She took ill four years ago. She had cancer four years ago. 
uh, but tomorrow uh, it has come back again and tomorrow she has an operation to remove the breast. So do pray for Lisa, but pray also that God will raise up others to come into the finance department. It's an urgent need and we're going to at the end of the month have virtually nobody in the finance department and that's uh, a major thing. But do pray for Lisa uh, and uh, that God will heal her and touch her and bring her back and bring others into the finance department to help us. And we do have our new uh, Mission Matters. It's just been released a couple of days ago. Uh, do take that. If you don't know much about the work, uh, then that's a new introduction leaflet we've got. And then um, I'll come to these two leaflets in a minute. Okay, we're going to go into a, a presentation. Uh, tonight's going to be as part of our... We're involved in four areas of ministry, but part of it tonight is our overseas ministry programme. Our overseas ministry program is assisting the national church to fulfill the Great Commission. And we're involved in uh, uh, evangelism, training, and ministry support to the national church. Okay, that's better. Okay. Next. Obviously, we're going to take you to the country of India. Usually when I come, I take you to various countries. I took you to China, took you to Sudan. But tonight, I'm going to take you to India. And when you see the, in the image of India, that's what you see. But India is a, a very large country, seventh largest country in the world. It borders Pakistan, China, Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, and Myanmar. And this little, uh, you'll see an arrow come up. And that there, that's where Shuris is from, the northeast part of India. Yes, that's it. <laughs> it does work. Next. India has a population of 1.2 million people. Sorry? Million people. Yeah, I said that deliberately. I said it deliberately because we can cope with 1.2 million. But we can't cope with 1.2 billion. We only have 6 million people in our wee land. And you think of some of these cities, uh, like Chennai have 12 million people, Delhi have 20 million people, 22 million people in one city. I was going through Belfast the other day, uh, uh, up to Brookborough. We got caught in a traffic jam for about 10 minutes. When you get caught in a traffic jam in Indonesia and India, it's two, three hours. Uh, okay, next. And this is Manipur. This is where Shuris is from. There's 191 people groups. Just think of our wee province if we had 191 different tribes, different cultures, different languages, different situations. 46% is Hindu, 34% Christian, and 9% Muslim. When I arrived in northeast India, I've been to India five times, I thought, I'm not in India. I've got off in the wrong place. Because one, they don't look like Indians, and two, it's not Indian culture. And that's the reason because these people are Mateus people, and originally come, uh, background would be Mongolian. And so the culture is very like Burmese, uh, more like Burma. And so this is a, a sample of the people and their culture. Uh, James, John and myself went in January 2000 this year and what a time we had. We were there for three, uh, two weeks. This is our Sunday lunch 
uh, absolutely wonderful. Uh, you just thank the Lord for it. You don't know when you're going to get your next meal. And you, you, you never ask what you're eating. And you just say, Lord, please keep it down. <laughs> this is Shures and his wife, Kim, and their two children. He'll share a little bit more about his family. Uh, Shures has been involved in Bible translation uh, for a number of years. And then two years ago, God called him into a church planting situation. So the photographs I'm going to show you are meetings in small little places. This is one of the churches that he started. This is another one, and this is in a house. It's an L shape. You, 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 you speak down that way, and you speak over this way, that way to the ladies, and this way to the men. Uh, but we were there for the purpose of leadership seminars. We had two leadership seminars in two places with 45 for three days for 45 people each. Now, can you tell me something uh, about these two slides that you've just seen. Anything you noticed? This is India, and they have coats on, and, and scarves and hats. I thought, wow, because it was their winter, and their winter was 20, 25 degrees. I thought, if we have 25 degrees in Northern Ireland, it's a, it's a heat wave. <laughs> but their summer is 35 to 40 degrees, and sometimes more. But, you know, we bring these pastors together for three days uh, for the fellowship together and for prayer and for meeting each other and for the word of God and for studying. But many of these pastors are living in difficult places and are struggling. Uh, We took out various resources for them uh, to help their evangelism. This is a group that we had. And so do pray for these pastors because it's very difficult. A lot of persecution in this region and it's hard uh, and it's very difficult. This is the second leadership seminar we had in a different place, a two-hour drive to where we were before. Just want to leave you with two pastors uh, because it's nice to show a whole lot of different pastors, but to show you individual people. This pastor, I cannot pronounce his name and I won't try, but he was about to give up. You see, it's not how we start in ministry, but it's how we finish. And Yvonne and I pray every day. We're 34 years in ministry. We pray every day, Lord, help us to finish well. I could tell you, I'm sure the pastor could as well. Many people, pastors, missionaries, evangelists, who have fallen by the wayside. And they're not even mentioned today. And how we need to pray and God helps us to finish well. This pastor was at the brink of giving up. He couldn't handle it anymore. The pressure suffered, the persecution suffered, the loneliness suffered, the difficulties suffered. And he said, that's it. And he came to the seminar. I was going to leave the work when I joined this seminar. I was really revived with my discouragement. So I've taken a decision to continue to serve the Lord until I die, even though there are obstacles. Pray for these pastors that God would bless them and keep them in the work. This is a very moving story and very challenging to me. Uh, this pastor is the executive pastor of all the Baptist churches in his region. And he came to the seminar and he says, this seminar for me was so precious, I've learned many things. And one of the things that happened to him during our seminar was that he was faced with a, a situation that his wife was being offered a job or given a job, a top job in the civil service, but not on her merit. 
her father bribed the authorities to get the job. We all want our children and our young people to have good jobs and do well, but there's a line that can be crossed. And so what happened, it was going to cost, I think, was, what was it, sure, 70, 750,000 rupees. 700,000 rupees. But the problem was he didn't even have the 700,000 rupees. He went and he borrowed the 700,000 rupees to pay the bribe so that his wife could get the job that she probably wasn't even qualified for. And I'm speaking in the seminar from 9 o'clock to 1 o'clock, those three days on Daniel. And Daniel was a man of prayer, a man of faith, and a man of integrity. And I'm preaching and teaching that we need to be pastors of integrity and doing things to honor God. And every day, those three days, this was eaten at him. And at the end of the seminar, he came to Shuras and myself and, and shared his burden and asked us to pray with him. He went back home and he said to his wife, that's it, end of story. We're not accepting a job, we're not accepting a bribe. If you get the job and you're married, fine, but we're not having any bribe. And of course it caused a whole problem with his father-in-law, but he was prepared to take a stand. So many of these pastors in so many countries have incredible issues. I remember in Sudan, you know, one of the major issues was the pastors in the Dinka culture, it's normal to have five wives. And so the pastor thinks it's okay to have five wives. And so they have to face so many issues. So do pray for these pastors, in particular the pastors in North East India. And this is the, this, the second group that we had with us. One of the things God spoke to us and challenged us for some time was we go to many Bible colleges overseas and we love to teach them and minister in their situation. And of course, one of the things they like to do is to take you to their library. And of course, I'm taken to their library and they have wall-to-wall shelving from the floor to the ceiling. Very impressive. But they usually have only 15, 20, 30 books on their library. And so this year we started a project to have, uh, we sent out 100 boxes of books to Bible colleges and to nine different Bible colleges. And we sent a number of boxes to two Bible colleges that Shures is involved in teaching in. And Shures continues uh, to do leadership seminars out in the bush and up in the mountains to train pastors and leaders and to encourage them. But also his heart is to reach his own people who are from a Hindu background. Now this slide excites me greatly because every person in this photograph is a Hindu. He called this meeting and all these Hindus came and they sat and listened. And you'll see the next slide that a number of them actually came to know the Lord and gave their heart to Jesus. Where Hindu came into the meeting, Hindu go out as Christians. This is Shuras involved in the Bible translation. The next slide is also a Bible translation. This is a very special slide because this is work that he's doing in Burma, which is the underground church. And uh, in fact, at the moment, one of the uh, translators he's working with is, is, is under uh, the authorities are watching him carefully. So it's quite dangerous, quite difficult. And just before Shiraz came to Ireland, uh, to the UK, he was involved in a women's conference. And this is a, a photograph of the women's conference 
uh, and this is another one that a conference they had just a few weeks ago. As you know, we uh, want to assist the National Church and the Great Commission. We want to help them and encourage them. And we always have projects. We now have 18 national coordinators, national associates, ministries that we partnership with. And uh, so we want to provide a vehicle uh, for sure. You might ask the question, why does he need a vehicle and why this type of vehicle? Well, the first reason why he needs a vehicle, the means of transport he has, is a bicycle for his wife and two children. And they live two hours away up in the mountains from their church and from their ministry. And so they have to cycle anywhere they want to go as a family. They have to cycle that distance. But not only that, it's a terrain. It's up the mountains. And if they get the, the mud and the rain, the bike and the, them and the kids just slide down the hill, down the side of the mountain. The other reason why we need to provide a, 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 a vehicle for them and this type of vehicle, in November... Uh, Shuris will be going to, to Burma, to Myanmar, to do translation. He will fly from, uh, he will travel two hours from where he lives to Impal, fly from Impal to Calcutta, from Calcutta to, uh, Yang, um, to Bangkok, stay overnight in Bangkok, then fly from Bangkok to Yangon, then fly from Yangon to Mandalay, then drive from Mandalay uh, eight hours up to the hills to the Chin people. If he had a vehicle, in this particular vehicle, he would do it in four hours. Instead of three days, instead of all those flights, instead of the commendation, he would do it in four hours. So instead of three hours there and three hours back, he would do it in four hours there and four hours back. The other exciting project we have, which sure is, he's just I've been involved in the translation of the Bible, the Manipurian Bible, which I think has taken about 30 years uh, to produce. And we want to supply the first 1,000 Bibles. It cost £3 each, so we're hoping to uh, provide 1,000 of these Bibles in order to give to people who couldn't afford to buy them and hear the reading of the Bible for the first time in their own language. That's just a summary. We do have... Uh, we do have a leaflet uh, on Shuris and his family. It gives you a bit more details. We also have a, a leaflet on our leadership seminar. Do feel free to take that and talk to me afterwards. There are a few parcels, not many, but there are a few for parcels which just need to be posted as part of our Bible teaching ministry to our students overseas. Thank you, Shuris. It's my privilege uh, to welcome Shuris to come. Thank you very much. Good evening. evening. Let's have a word of prayer. Almighty God, our loving and living Heavenly Father, we come before you hoping and praying that you will open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. God, it is our prayer that we will never be the same again after this service that you will move the hearts of men and women in this place. And I pray that, Lord, all the glory be yours and blessing be ours in Jesus' name. Amen. It's wonderful to be here this evening. First time in your church. First time in the United Kingdom. Everything is first. First time fish and chips. <laughs> first time in the ferry. and Everything is first here. 
And so it has been a wonderful opportunity for me to be here. I'm married and I have, Kim and I have two boys. Marcus is four, Joseph is one. They keep us very busy, two boys. And so it's wonderful to be parents of two boys. And I'm learning to appreciate my mom and dad more and more now. They have five, so five of us. And I, we grew up in a, Christ, uh, in a Hindu family. And the first person in our society to become a, a believer was my uncle, who was a Kung Fu master, we would say. He was a karate guy. He would teach karate to young people when, uh, in the evenings. And this man all of a sudden became a believer in the early 90s. Because of his faith, he was persecuted so much by my grandfather, who is still alive, still a Hindu. And so he, he was persecuted even up to the extent of abusing him physically, that he had to move away and he had to go to a certain village out in the village. There is an island in our place. We have a lake. It's 33,000 feet above the sea level. Um, our state is 33,000 feet above the sea level, but in the middle of the hills, you have a lake for about as long as 12 kilometers long and 8 kilometers wide. And in the middle of this lake, there, is, there are islands and there are villages and far of, uh, fishermen. Uh, and so my uncle went there and started gathering their kids and teaching A, B, C, and one, two, three basic things children who are not going to school. There are many children who don't go to school. That may, that may sound strange to you. I never went to school until I was 11. When I went to school first time, I didn't know the meaning of homework. I didn't know that homework meant something to be done. And so I was beaten up every day for about two weeks until I knew the meaning of homework. And so it was a difficult time for me. And so there were like, there are kids like me who didn't, were not going to school, so my uncle went there and started teaching them, and that gathering eventually became uh, a school. And so because of his success in that, he was sent to study Bible by a Christian group. So he went to study Bible in South India, Chennai, which was known as Madras, and finished his studies in 1993. Early 1993, he came back and was working as a missionary. And while he was working as a missionary, he heard that my father just became a Christian. My, fa my father became a Christian. And then after a week, my mom said, I also want to have like what you have. <laughs> so she also became a Christian very suddenly one after another. And so my uncle heard that and he was going to visit us. And he said, we are going to visit some churches with my friend, both missionaries, and then we are going to come see you on our way home. We were living in a separate, different town. And so we were waiting for them on the 7th of September, but they never came. The 8th and the 9th, a week went by, they never came. And on the 15th, early morning September, people came and said, two men were kidnapped. We had to go search for them. So the search began, hundreds and hundreds of young people, uh, I don't know how many trucks of People went, I was a small boy, and in your language, a wee boy. <laughs> so I was a wee boy following them. And we were climbing up the mountain, and we saw this, just the skin and the hair 
of these two men, what happened to them was they were killed and just left, and then they must have, the killers must have gone back and tried to bury them, pull through their head, and just, the skin just came off. And so then they, the two of them were buried um, little, not far away from there, so we saw the hair and then went up, and then the two men were buried under a tree, brought them home, and du- du- the, during the funeral, I had a strong desire, I was a Hindu at that time, that one day when I am old enough to study Bible, then I will study the Bible and become a missionary and complete what my uncle just started and didn't finish. He didn't even serve the Lord for a year as a missionary. He was killed. He didn't even marry. He was engaged but didn't have that um, uh, marriage um, performed in his lifetime. And so I, have th- I had that burden, and in 1996, God opened my eyes. I'm just making the story, long story short, that God opened my eyes, and I became a Christian on the 7th of May, 1996. Trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation. And 23 days after that, I went to a Bible college to study Bible. And then after studying eight years, came back, started working as a Bible translation consultant in India, Burma, and the Philippines. And so after working about eight years with them, uh, I started having that previous, my former burden again, that the burden that I have when my uncle was buried, that one day I would like to complete what he could not finish winning souls to Christ. And so that came back very strongly that although we enjoyed Bible translation ministry, we cherished that so deeply in our hearts that we had to leave that ministry on the 24th of December, 2009. I worked with them for about eight years and I was able to have part in six Bibles that are printed and all the six Bibles are there on the table if you would uh, like to read a verse and meditate if you'd like to. See if you can read it. And so I had, I had that part, but we, ha- we have moved along and now we are in church planting ministry, trying to establish local churches among our people, 1.6 million Hindus and 1% Christian. And... The gospel came a hundred years ago. It was brought by William Pettigrew from Edinburgh, Scotland, the first man to our place who brought Christianity. And it was rejected by the king. But today, the door is open. Our, our congregation is 35 years and below. This first generation Christian believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our oldest man is, uh, the only, we have one person who is above 36 years old. And you travel around Scotland and England and Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland, almost all, you know, the majority are 50 years and above. And it is surprising here, your congregation look very young. It's quite unique as far as my, my trip is concerned. This is a healthy situation here. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> when you say 
that 60-year-old man is the youngest man, that's not very good. And we praise the Lord for this church. And so we are working in church planting ministries. We have established two churches um, so far, very, very small churches. And our prayer is that the Lord will establish his churches because throughout history, there, is, there has been no culture, no tribe that has successfully withstood the gospel. That even the mighty Roman Empire had to accept it. And the gospel is our faith, the gospel is our power, it's our hope that God will establish his church there among my people. And we're working hard for that. And LMI is partnering with us, trying to do everything that they can, providing resources, providing funds to work there, and providing even um, coming there even, and providing leadership trainings personally in every way that they can. We praise, we really praise the Lord for this. Let's go to the Word of God. This trip is uh, what LMI calls it, mission awareness program. That we want people to, to, be, to be aware of missions, to have burden for missions, to have desire for missions. And we want to challenge people for missions. Missions right here, missions overseas, missions in your workplaces. Somebody said that if you're not taking part in a mission field, you are a mission field. That we need to be a part of God's mission in trying to glorify his name through different activities that we do. And the best way that I can think of for this evening to, to, to give burden for ministry, to take you to this program, Mission Awareness Program, to cause you to be aware of what's happening, is to really see the the real situation of an unsafe person and look at him and think about him and say, now it is our duty through the power of the gospel to do everything that we can to bring this man who is unsafe living in this situation to this situation. And I, want, I, want, I really want to take time to really see his unsafe situation. Unless we know the real situation, you cannot have the burden. We want to know the real situation so you can talk about mission field circumstances, poverty and different things. But that's not my goal this evening. But I want to talk about the real situation of the unsaved man's heart. That how hopeless he is. How separated he is. How helpless he is. How depraved he is so that we will wake up and seek God's help and be a part of God's ministry. So for that, let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. I've been teaching the book of Ephesians back home. I have taught two months and I'm still in chapter 2. 
My, my philosophy and my burden is that I'll take my congregation as deep as I can to the gospel. Not just believe and save and that's it. No, I want to take them as deep as I can. Being lost in the, the grace of God, the love of God, so that when trouble days come, they will go through. Take them as deep as I can. So I, I am in love with the book of Ephesians this year and I want to take you to chapter 2. Let's see the, the situation of the unsaved man's heart. Verse 1 says, chapter 2, Ephesians 1, to verse, chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We're just going to go through 15 things. That, that people, the man who is not in Christ, is dead in his trespasses and sins, no matter how good he is. You talk about Mr. Good. That Mr. Good is uh, somebody who has not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Mr. Good has a wife, nice children. Mr. Good has his nice business. He runs his home very well. He, he is well educated. He doesn't drink. Um, he does normal things in life. Mr. Good. But that Mr. Good without Christ, it says he, were, he is dead in his trespasses and sins. That's Mr. Good. And then you were formerly, you formerly walk according to the course of this world. That unsafe people walk according to the course of this world, and it should not surprise us. They do things that they like to do, and sometimes I think, why are they doing that? And then my second thought says, that's what they're supposed to do. They walk according to the course of this world. That's number two. And number three, according to the prince of the power of the air. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against principalities and power. Here it says that the unsafe man walks according to the prince of the power of the air. The devil is at work in him. And then, number, five, number four, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We were sons of disobedience. That doesn't mean ladies are excluded. It simply means children of disobedience. In Hebrew culture, you talk to men, then you use masculine gender. You talk to women, you use feminine gender. But you talk to men and women, you use masculine gender. The same thing in Hindi. That's what we are seeing here. When, it, when they talk to the men and women, it talk, it, they would use masculine gender. So the sons of disobedience simply means children of disobedience. Son does not necessarily mean my biological son. Son has many meanings in the scripture. Son of God, son of prophets, son of the devil. Devil doesn't have any children. It means characterized by the devil, controlled by the devil. That's what we are seeing here. That, that we were children of the devil, children of disobedience, and number five, among them you two all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. The lust of our flesh, ladies and gentlemen. Let's, let's look back. This was our life. I want to take you back to where we were. So that we will really appreciate our salvation today. That I am saved from all these things. 
but that there are people who are still in this situation. This is real life for them. And we need to be passionate about missions. That these men live in the lust of their flesh. I don't have to explain that. You know that. You know. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That anything that you desire in your heart, in your brain, in your th thoughts, you indulge in that. You gratify that. And we're by nature children of wrath. The wrath of God. That was our situation. We were by nature children of wrath. That punishment was real. That was the next thing to do. If you speed, what do you get? Ticket, right? That's, that's normal. That's what he's saying. That we were sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath. That God's wrath was upon us. That punishment was just waiting, looming. That was real. That was the next step. That's number, um, that's number eight. And then let's go down to number nine, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, you were uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. We were Gentiles. Well, this is talking to the Jews and Gentiles in the Ephesian church. Now, let's go, come down quickly to verse 12. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. I like that. That, that phrase makes things so clear. That we were separated from Christ. First John chapter 5 says, He who has the Son has eternal life. So if, you, if, if, if a person has the Son, if, he, if that person has eternal life, and here if it says separated from Christ, that means no eternal life. That I did not have eternal life, you did not have eternal life. And then the next thing is excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. And then the next thing, strangers to the covenants of promise. All the promises in the scripture. Promises about salvation, promises about eternity. We were excluded from that. For promises about forgiveness, promises about kingdom, promises about all the eternal things that we are going to enjoy. All, from all the promises of God, we were excluded. Having no hope, verse 12, last part, that we were hopeless people. Once we are saved, we cannot say we are hopeless. Don't, when you are angry, don't, don't say, hey, hopeless. We are all hopeful people. But before we were saved, says we are we had no hope. No hope. Look at look at the last phrase in verse 12. And without God in the world. Without God. Yes, they have all these unbelievers, the unsafe unsafe people have got all the gods that they can think of. 
but they are without the true God. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, as you formerly were far off, we are without Christ, without hope, without God, we are far away, far away. You can see 15 things there. That the unsafe person, you can list, and as I was listing, I found 15 things there. We just went through 15 truths of the unsafe situation. That he is dead in his trespasses and sins. He walks according to the course of this world, according to the desires of his flesh. That he is separated from God. He, he, has, he is stranger to the promises of God. He is without God, no hope. That was our situation. Any natural man, any unsafe person will by nature do all these things. God doesn't have, has to help anybody to do evil. Man in his fallen state by himself, by nature, does evil instinctively. We don't need help to do evil. Man does evil. We only need help, intervention, divine intervention for to do good. But we were in this situation and we were indulging in our flesh, lost in our, in our sins, dead in our sins. We could not hear the gospel. Because the, uh, for 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you, see, you also see there that the God of this world has blinded their eyes. That their conscience is dead. They cannot hear. They are blind. And there comes the beautiful verse in Romans 10. How will they hear if somebody, if there is no preacher, right? These people are dead. And from this situation, now we want to bring them to this situation, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, but in between these two is where we call Christian mission. That's where we function. That we want people from darkness to kingdom of light. And in between that, God has given that responsibility to the church of Jesus Christ. In, uh, in Luke chapter 14, it says, go, compel them so that my house will be filled. Compel them. That's where we operate. And so we need to really know that situation to bring them to this side. That's why I want to take you to the past to really see who, where we were. Really see where we were. So now for, for, for us to bring these people to this side, we need people to go. We need people to go. I cannot say, I cannot pray, Lord, send somebody Sometimes God wants to answer our prayers through, your, through you. Yes, I'm answering your prayer, but you. I had an uncle. When I, in India, when you say uncle, we are not related. Everybody is uncle. Your father's age is uncle. We were working together. He was also a consultant. I was working with him. He was a senior consultant. I was a junior consultant working under him, learning from him in my first year. Now, I could not say anything to this uncle because if you suggest anything, this uncle would say, now, you are the right person to do this. 
So if you did not want anything more, you should not say anything. He said, Uncle, this, I think we should do this. Said, All right, you, you know what you're talking about, so you do it. So to suggest something simply meant more work. You're praying for missions. Maybe God wants you. You. That either, I always say this, I say this, there are three types of people. Goers, senders, disobedient in missions. If you are not a part of the two, by default, we are a part of the third. That we are disobedient. But yet we have this people group who are lost in their sins and we need to bring them here. You may do anything on this earth. You may be a successful businessman. You may be a successful preacher, teacher. Doesn't matter what we do. The bottom line is the Great Commission. That's the Great Commission. We need to have a part in that. Somewhere, somehow, we need to be a part of the Great Commission of God. Yes, you may not become an overseas missionary. But be part of the delight of God. Mission is God's delight. Did you realize that? Luke chapter 15, the widow lost her coin. And then she went for, and then she searched and found it and comes back rejoicing. And then there is the shepherd who lost his sheep. And then he went after the sheep and found it. Comes back rejoicing. And there is the next story is the father lost his son. And then the son is found. And the, son, the father is rejoicing. In all these three stories in Luke chapter 15, you see lost and found and rejoicing. Mission is the delight of God. And we want everybody to be a part of the delight of God. If you're not a part of the delight of God, something is seriously wrong. That we need to be a part of the delight of God. The opposite of that is to, be, to, to have my own joy, my own delights. As long as we have my, our own joy, separate from the joy of God, the delight of God, we are wasting our lives. That your joy can be virtually the same as the joy of God. When the two go together, then fire starts. That's where meaning of life begins. When the joy of God becomes my passion, my joy, that's when meaning of life begins. Now when you go or when you sin, and then these men who were lost in their sins, the five con 15 conditions that we have stated, is transformed. That you go out and share the gospel, and then what happens? What happens? Verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, I like this word, but. <laughs> he loves it too. But God, we were like that. 15 things, list them there, go home and read again, list them, all the things in chapter 2 of all our hopeless situations. And then 
Verse 4 comes verse 4. So read verse 4. It says, But God crossed out all. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ. I was dead. I was hopeless without Christ, without God. But I am alive because somebody was involved. That's mission. Somebody came to you, remember, a long time ago, last year, 15 years ago. Remember that person, a man, a woman, through whom you came to know the Lord? That was the mission. That we are made alive. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. And then the second blessing is, I will raise up with him and seated, with, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at our new situation from hopelessness to glory. That he made us alive. He has seated us in the heavenly places with the sun in the right hand side. Verse 10, we are his workmanship. That God is now trying to form you, design you from glory to glory. What a difference. What a difference. And then it says, workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Before strangers to the promises of God. Now we are no longer strangers and aliens, but our fellow citizens, citizens of heaven, live like citizens. I am an Indian citizen. When I am here, I should behave. I better behave like an Indian citizen. Otherwise, they will take me home. Right? Your, your homeland security will take me home, send me home. If we are citizens of heaven, then we better behave, live like citizens of heaven with kingdom principles, kingdom philosophy, kingdom desires, kingdom, kingdom priorities. And then verse 20, having been built up on the foundation of the apostles and Prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. That you are being fitted together. You are a part of God's structure, God's, God's plan, God's church. That you are like a piece of brick in the whole building. That you are vital, eternally vital. That you're a part, you're having a part, and we don't want that part to be a paralyzed part. We want that part to be a functioning part. A part that functions in maybe little. It looks like this one does nothing, but in a dusty road in India, when you're traveling, then dust and all over your face, and then when, when a little speck enters, what happens? This one comes first to the rescue. Do that. That functioning in the body because we are fitted together is growing into a holy temple. We are growing 
in whom you also are being built together in the dwelling of God in the spirit. That we are the temple of God. God wants to dwell in us. Man is the dwelling place of God. This thought has just captured me. It's amazing. I was studying. I have a sermon. I made a sermon on this. I was reading this Bible. And then this thought came to me. I have preached about the greatness of God several times in the past. The greatness of God. And talk about the universe and the stars and galaxies and light years. And say God is bigger than that. I've thought about that. And then David says, who am I that I should build a house? Solomon, sorry. Solomon says, who am I that I should build a house of God? The heavens and the highest heavens will not contain you. But this God in whom the whole universe dwell, like a little marble, God who is greater than this universe, this whole universe dwells in him, and this God dwells in your heart. That just blows my mind. That he wants to dwell in me, that was what he was doing in the Garden of Eden. That he created man, he wanted to dwell with man, had fellowship with man, but sin interrupted that. And then God started all over again with the tabernacle. God was there with, in a cloud of pillar, all through the wilderness journey. And then they had the temple, and when Solomon dedicated the temple, the glory of God, the Sekinah glory of God came down, and they could not even enter the house of God. God dwelled there, but in Ezekiel 8, 9, 10, God left because of sin, because in, inside the temple they were doing idol worship. God left. It's always interrupted by sin. God always wants to dwell among men. It's always interrupted by sin. And then Jerubabel built another temple, and people were crying. The old men were crying, oh, this is so bad compared to Solomon's temple. And God says, I'm going to dwell there once again. And after that, no more. No more. And then you come to the New Testament. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And verse 14 says, And, and the Word become, became flesh and dwelt among us. God wants to dwell among us. It was prophesied in Isaiah that His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to dwell among us. And then... Today, he dwells in us through his Holy Spirit. Through his Holy Spirit, he dwells in us. And finally, the second coming, the heaven is open in Revelation chapter 19. And then what do you hear? The great sound, the shout in heaven. It says, now the dwelling place of God is among men. It doesn't say now man dwells with God. Now the dwelling place of God is among men. That's the delight of God. It's just like God saying, finally, I can dwell among them. Finally. That's what we are seeing here, verse 22. In whom you also are being built together into the dwelling of God. God wants to dwell in you, but he brought you out from that dark situation. From our darkness, from our sins. From our deadness, he raised us up. He transferred us from the, the glorious gospel has transformed us completely. But in between these two, there is the need for mission. There is the need for mission. God needs you and me. I don't know why. Paul says that in this earthen 
vessel. God has put this glorious gospel in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Oddly vessel. It's just breakable. I'm so weak. But God has put this glorious gospel in me and trusted to me. I don't know why. Because First, Second Corinthians chapter 3 says, our adequacy is not ourselves, but God. That God wants to bring these people to this side, but God needs you and me. Weak people like you and me, but humble people who are willing to be used by God, who would, who would just say, Lord, here am I. God cannot use strong people. Did you realize that? The problem is not how God is weak. The problem is we are too strong for him. That he cannot use. We are too strong. God wants weak people. Moses in Egypt and in the wilderness compared that. And God used him when he was in the wilderness. That God wants to use you. Doesn't matter how weak you are. It doesn't matter how, how illiterate you are in the Bible, how uneducated you are with the Bible. The little thing that you know, God can use that. Deal Moody was preaching, preaching, and there he, see, he saw a man at the back sobbing, crying. And he's thinking, I'm going to ask what's, what, what touches him. So he finishes his sermon, goes down, he says, Brother, what happened to you? What part of the sermon touched your heart? And the man says, I don't remember anything that you said. But what you have on top of your pulpit is enough for me. And he had, God is love. That much. God is love. This drunkard who was heavy, he, he drank a lot, that man, the man at the back. That was enough for him to be saved. That God is love. God can use your word. Just read a verse. God can use to bring from this side of the people to this side of the people. And it is my prayer that you will be a part of the mission of God one day. Maybe today, down the line, two years after, five years after, that one day that you will take up ministry as your mission. You don't have to give up your jobs, but wherever you are, be a part of the mission of God because this is the delight of God, the joy of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace and your mercies. I thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you continue to speak to our hearts, that, Lord, you will break into our wills and help us to get out of our comfort zones. Help us, Lord, that we will be useful instruments, holy vessels in your kingdom. Continue to speak to us, O oh God. Help us to see our mission. Open our eyes that we will see mission field all over. In this Northern Ireland, in the United Kingdom, in Europe, in Asia, in Africa. That we will look at people and see only missions. That we will change our perspectives, our attitudes. I pray that, Lord, you will continue to be with your people here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.